Angie's List is now Angie, the nation's largest home service marketplace. And they are here to help homeowners get all their jobs done well. Angie has helped over 150 million homeowners care for their homes. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, come to Angie to connect with and hire skilled professionals to get the job done well. Have you had a leaky roof? We did, and it was a nightmare. But through Angie, we found an amazing roofer who specialized in flat roofs, and he fixed it right and quickly. Angie can help you find the best price for your project. Angie lets you request and compare quotes from multiple pros in just a few taps or book services at an upfront price based on local data. Angie has cost guides that tell you what others have paid for similar projects, both nationally and in your area. Get started at Angie.com, that's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. The app and website are both free to use. That's Angie.com. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. is the Tom Hartman Program. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. We've talked about the election, uh, you know, a lot, right? It's uh, 99 days from today, roughly 100 days away. At least that's the story that the media is putting out. The fact of the matter is that in many states, 39 states and the District of Columbia, there is early voting. And in some states, the early voting starts roughly 50 days from now. Some states allow voting as early as 45 days. Uh, 20 states, uh, plus the District of Columbia, provide for uh, early voting on Saturday. A great piece on this uh, over at Daily Coast by Old Rednick. Four additional states, California, Kansas, Vermont, and Massachusetts, leave it up to the county clerk if they're going to allow Saturday voting. Delaware and Virginia allow it. Sunday voting in five states, Alaska, Illinois, Maryland, New York, and Ohio. Five states leave it up to the county clerks, California, Georgia, Michigan, Nevada, and Massachusetts, etc. But the bottom line is that this is happening right now, or it will be, you know, in, in six weeks, basically. The election is going to start. And that's one of the reasons that Trump is hysterically trying to create unrest in our cities so that he can replicate what Richard Nixon did in 1968 after you had the police riot at the Democratic National Convention in the summer of 68, and you had the assassination of Martin Luther King, which led to numerous cities on fire in 1968. And Donald Trump is trying to bring that back. This is, you know, this is Roger Stone, who was Nixon's advisor, one of Nixon's advisors back then. This is, uh, you know, Richard Nixon on steroids. The other concern that I've expressed, and I, I wrote an op-ed about this a couple of months ago, and I need to write another one. I need to get this out there more frequently, although a lot of people are quoting that original op-ed and, and quoting what I've been saying on the air, is that, you know, we saw this happen in the election of 1876. Samuel Tilden won the majority of the Electoral College votes and won the majority of the popular vote. But he did not end up president of the United States. Instead, the Republican Rutherford B. Hayes became president of the United States. And the reason why is because the 12th, in part, I mean, it was, that was a little more complex because there was a whole deal about any reconstruction. But the bottom line is basically this is what happened in 1876 and it can happen again. If a couple of states refuse to certify the vote, it's all they have to do. Just say, you know, we can't certify the vote because... And just fill in the blanks on the because. We can't certify the vote. If a couple, of a couple of large red states refuse to certify the vote, then the electoral college vote goes from what you and I did at the ballot box to the U.S. House of Representatives. And in the House of Representatives, each state has one vote. And that vote is determined by a vote of the majority of the senators and, and representatives of that state's legislature. 
The governor doesn't even have any say in it. And so we've got roughly 30 states that have Republican-controlled or Republican-majority combined House and Senate legislatures. So Donald Trump would win 30 to 20 in the Electoral College under the 12th Amendment. And it's already starting in San Antonio. This, this uh, story from KSAT, the local TV station, Dateline San Antonio, after a bruising defeat in the, in the runoff election for Bexar County GOP chair. Now, this is somebody who's simply running to be chairman or chairperson of the Republican Party in this one county in Texas. Cynthia Brem announced on Thursday she will not certify the results. She argued that the Bexar County Elections Department did not produce official signed chain of custody documents for 31 voting centers and did not post a guard to make sure that the early voting data was safe. She said there is an active investigation. Now, according to the tabulation that came out, this was a Republican primary, right? These are Republican voters. The Republican voters in Bexar County voted in favor of her opponent, John Austin, by who got two-thirds of the votes. But because she is the existing chair, by the way, she is one of these right-wing nutcases, right? She, on Facebook, she posted this whole thing about how George Floyd's death was actually staged, that, you know, for political reasons, to help to, to hurt Donald Trump, et cetera, et cetera, right? They, one of these right-wing crazed conspiracy mongers. And she says, I'm not going to step down. I'm not going to certify this election. Now, where did she get that idea? How extensively is this being discussed in Republican circles? And what might be one of the things that causes the Republicans, say, uh, Ron DeSantis in Florida or, uh, well, pick your state, right? I mean, there's a half a dozen, but it would have to be one of the large states, Greg Abbott in Texas, for example. What might cause them to do that? What excuse might they use? Well, how about... You know, we've got tens of thousands of absentee votes that arrived after the deadline. And, uh, you know, we need, to, we need to find out what's going on with this. So we're not going to certify the vote. Or there's some question about this. And this is where it gets very interesting. Mark Sumner writing for the Daily Kos, the headline, You Don't Have Mail. New Postmaster General is generating exactly the anger and distrust that Trump wants. Now, you recall, I've pointed out to you that David Stockman articulated this. He wasn't the guy who invented it. But during the Reagan presidency, they were operating under a strategy that, that both David Stockman and Ronald Reagan referred to, and, and George Herbert Walker Bush referred to as Star of the Beast. The Beast, of course, is the government of the United States of America. Starve that beast. And so what, you know, and the way it works is, you cut back on funding to federal agencies to the point that they can no longer do their jobs. You know, Social Security, for example, right now it takes two years to get a Social Security disability application even reviewed. Donald Trump gave early retirement, there's like something like 65,000 employees for Social Security, it's in that neighborhood, and gave early, early retirement to like 15,000 people. So there's just nobody there to take your call, right, or, to, or to, to evaluate your application. So you starve the beast, and when you starve the beast, then you point out that the beast isn't working anymore, and then you say, and by the way, we should privatize it. Well, it turns out Postmaster DeJoy, according to his uh, federally required transparency statements, conflict of interest statements, has, quote, between $30 million and $75 million in assets in U.S. Postal Service competitors or contractors. So you've got the guy who's the head of the post office right now. Trump put him into place. His only credential, by the way, he's the first person in more than half a century to have not been a postal employee, to not have been a letter carrier. The guy in charge, his only credential is that he raised a pile of money for Donald Trump and he's got 70 million bucks, up to 70 million dollars invested in companies that compete with the post office. And here's the story. Very straightforward. In New Jersey, residents say they're going days without mail. In Chicago, citizens complain that their deliveries are running weeks behind. California residents are fretting over mortgages and rents put in jeopardy by a mail service that seems frozen. Other customers are finding the bills are arriving too late. That can mean running up additional costs in medical bills or losing a credit card when it could be a vital lifeline. 
The critical factor seems to be changes introduced by Postmaster General Louis DeJoy, the guy who's got $70 million of his own personal wealth invested in competitors to the post office. He's implemented a major change in the way the post office operates, reducing overtime and cutting back on the number of daily deliveries. Surprise, surprise. By the way, when he said that the post office should run like a business, he pointed out that a lot of businesses fail. This is the Tom Hartman Program. This is insane. And then on top of this, you got to hear what the RNC is up to with Jared Kushner and Donald Trump. The grift continues. So you've got Republicans running for Congress all over the country. They're running for the U.S. House of Representatives. And the, the organization, the Republican organization that typically funds Republicans who are running for office is uh, called the Republican Congressional Campaign Committee. The, you know, we've got the DCCC, there's the RCCC, essentially. And the RCCC has uh, gone to the RNC, Actually, the, the, it's not the RCCC. It's called the National Republican Congressional Committee, the NRCC. My apologies. I got it wrong. It's the NRCC, uh, their version of the DCCC. And so this group that supports Republicans who are running for the U.S. House of Representatives all over the country, this group has gone to the Republican National Convention, uh, Committee, the RNC, which is run by Mitt Romney's niece, uh, Rona Romney McDaniel. And said, uh, how about some cash, guys? Y'all helped us in previous elections. You know, you got billionaires giving you money. How about shoveling some of it in our direction? But it turns out that the Republican committee, the RNC, doesn't actually control their own cash. The head of the Republican Party, well, the head of any political party, frankly, when a president is of that party is in office, is the president. So the head of the Democratic Party during Obama's presidency, you know, it wasn't Tom Perez, it was, or whoever was party chair at the time, it was Barack Obama, it was President Obama. Uh, the president of, or the head of the Republican Party when George Bush was president was George Bush. The, president, the head of the Republican Party right now is Donald Trump. And Donald Trump has delegated responsibility for all the money that the Republican National Committee, the RNC, passes out. He has delegated responsibility for all that money to Jared Kushner. And Jared Kushner has been, along with Trump, and there's been quite a bit of reporting on this over the last week and a half or so, how, how the Trump organization and Donald Trump himself have personally sucked literally tens of millions of dollars of campaign donor dollars out of the RNC. You hold an event, the RNC will hold an event at the Trump Hotel. You know, normally a room would go for 100 bucks a night. Suddenly the rooms are $700 a night. Normally a ballroom would be $10,000. Suddenly the ballroom's $100,000. I'm just making up numbers here, but, but this is essentially how it works. And it's well-documented and easily searchable. You can find this without any problem at all. And there's also a, a threshold for reporting and they have been making sure that all of the transfers of money from the RNC to these various Trump organizations always are like $10 below that threshold. And that was part of the big story that got broken last week by a number of reporters, was how millions and millions of dollars are being siphoned out of the RNC and given to Donald Trump. He's just putting it in his pocket. I'm getting fundraising letters like two, three, four, five times a day now from the Trump campaign. I've gotten two fundraising letters in the last three days from Don, Don Trump Jr. telling me that I can have an advanced copy of his book, his new book about liberals that he's got coming out. Uh, obviously, he's trying to push it to the top of the New York Times bestseller list, uh, but the money is going to be going to where? Donald Trump Jr. But it's the Trump campaign that's asking for this. So, so the, the Trump crime family, this, this, this family of grifters, and uh, you know, Jared Kushner is right in the middle of it. His own father went to prison for, for financial fraud, for ripping people off. Jared Kushner is saying to the Republican committee, you know, we're not going to release money to the uh, NRCC. We're not going to give money to these Republican members of Congress. And this has, quote, frustrated, end quote, 
Kevin McCarthy, who is the House Minority Leader. He's the, he's the guy who's in charge of the Republicans in the U.S. House of Representatives. Not the brightest bulb on the tree, but, you know, he's, he does know that without money uh, to run for re-election, uh, you know, this is, this, is, this, is, this is pretty impressive. This is a, uh, a report from the Washington Post, and I quote, this is from the Washington Post, quote, McCarthy specifically has asked Jared Kushner, President Trump's son-in-law and senior advisor, to make a financial commitment to the House Republicans, according to several officials familiar with the discussions who spoke on the uh, condition of anonymity. But Kushner, who oversees such decisions and has a greater say than RNC chairwoman Rona Romney McDaniel, has refused thus far, the officials say. According to one White House insider, quote, the campaign, that's the Trump campaign, just wants the money. They don't care about the House. That's not their concern. And essentially, the argument that's being made by Kushner is, we've already lost the House. The Democrats control the House. We're going to lose more House seats in the next election. Why should we put any money at all into House of Representatives races? We've got to hang on to the White House so that we can promote our fascist agenda, so that we can turn America from a, a, a republic into an oligarchy, from a republic into, a, into an autocracy, from a republic into a fascist state. That's where all our effort needs to go. Which brings me back to my question from the first hour. How long is it going to take Republicans to figure out how badly they've been conned and scammed by not just the Trump crime family, but the GOP in general for decades now? Tom Herman here with you. We're 100 days out or 99 days out from the election. But really, uh, you know, early voting starts in, I think, 55 days in a lot of states. Chairman of the DNC, Tom Perez, the former U.S. Secretary of Labor, is with us. Democrats.org, of course, the DNC's website. You can tweet him at Tom Perez. Chairman Perez, welcome back to the program. Where are we at right now? We've got, I'm, I'm looking at a whole bunch of different stories here that really concern me. Several different cities, we've got people saying that the mail has been slowed down substantially, and yet people want to vote by mail. You've got Donald Trump promoting this, this uh, hoax. You were the former labor secretary. We just ran out of unemployment insurance. We don't know where that's going. We've got the convention coming in a couple of weeks. John Lewis line and state. There's so much to talk about. Where do we start? Well, I would probably start with John Lewis because, uh, boy, he's a hero to me, a hero to you, and a hero to so many across this country. And uh, I was working for Senator Kennedy in the 90s, and I had the privilege of uh, helping to draft the original version of what became the Shepherd Bird Hate Crime Prevention Act, which took 14 years to pass, by the way. And when we were looking for the original co-sponsor in the House, uh, Senator Kennedy, the liberal lion of the Senate, said, well, that's an easy question to answer. And I remember sitting in a meeting with Senator Kennedy and Congressman Lewis uh, and I'm a 30-something staffer there, uh, just sort of pinching myself because I'm in the presence of just two remarkable uh, leaders. And, uh, you know, John Lewis said uh, voting is the most powerful nonviolent tool we have to create a more perfect union. And, and all the points you raised, Tom, in your run-up to your question for me are true. We, we've got um, the most dangerous president in American history uh, I used to run the Civil Rights Division. I saw voter suppression when I ran it. I sued many states. Uh, this president's trying to do voter suppression on steroids. We know that. But we've been preparing for that for some time. We have the most, I think, muscular voter protection operation that we've ever had. And it's not just we at the DNC and the Biden campaign, but it's the Democratic ecosystem. Um, we've had a lot of success moving forward. We still have a ton more work to do. I, I don't deny that at all. Um, and it's going to involve both um, organizing, uh, educating, litigating, all of the above and then some. But I am confident that we can do this, Tom. You, you look at the last three years and what they've had in common is Democrats have been turning out at scale. Uh, we've been showing up because we know that our democracy, as we know it, is on the line. And we do have 99 days left. 
although you correctly point out that voting starts earlier, September 14th in, in Arizona, for instance. So we are, are we're very, very focused on making sure people know their rights, making sure that people have choice. If you want to vote in person, we need to make sure you can do that. If you want to vote early, we want to maximize the number of early days. If you want to vote uh, absentee, vote by mail, we want to make sure that those systems are in place. And that's why we're working with uh, state authorities, with local authorities. You know, our lawsuit in Wisconsin is still pending. We, we helped 142,000 people in the April primary uh, exercise their right to vote as a result of that litigation. So we're, we're using every tool in our toolbox. And the most important thing I would say to people is, remember John Lewis. He gave us our marching orders. Get out there and vote. Get your neighbors and friends who are eligible to vote and help them to vote as well. Sir, as you as you we're talking with Tom Perez, the chair of the DNC, as you as I'm, I'm guessing you probably know, in 1876, in the election of 1876, uh, the Democrat Samuel Tilden won the majority vote in the United States and also won a majority of the electoral college votes. But he did not become president. Instead, the Republican Rutherford B. Hayes became president. And in part, the reason why was because although Tilden had a majority of, of both popular votes and electoral college votes, he hadn't hit the threshold of 50% plus one of the electoral college because you had three southern states that were then occupied by the Union Army that, uh, whose, whose governments refused to certify the vote, uh, plus the state of Oregon, which was occupied by the Klan at the time. They refused to certify the vote. And as a result of those four states refusing to certify the vote, under the 12th Amendment, the vote gets thrown to the U.S. House of Representatives, and each state has one vote, and that vote is determined not by the congressional delegation. That vote is determined by a vote of the House and Senate of each one of those states. So the Michigan House of Representatives and the Michigan Senate, where everybody has one vote equally, combined would vote, for example, and, and that's they're controlled by Republicans, even though they have a Democratic governor. The governor has no say in this. If this were to happen, if Florida and Texas were to, for example, refuse to certify the vote and it gets thrown into the House, you've got roughly 30 states that have Republican-controlled legislatures that would vote for Donald Trump. Do you guys have a contingency plan for this? I've been hearing about this for almost four months from Republican operatives that I still know from when I worked in Washington, D.C. I wrote an op-ed about it a couple months ago. I don't see anybody talking about it. Am I in crazy land here, or is this something that, that you guys are taking seriously? Well, we take everything seriously, uh, Tom, but I, I think the most important thing that we can do, and, and one of the concerns I have, quite frankly, is uh, Donald Trump wants everybody to be in the fetal position, fearful, 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 so they don't get out there and vote. That's why he's denigrating vote by mail. That's why he's uh, you know, doing uh, all these voter ID laws. They have a $20 million voter suppression budget. And you know what? It has, it, it, he tried to do that in 2018. He tried to do that in 2019, and it did not work. And I want to make sure that people are understanding that when you get out there and vote, uh, it makes a huge difference. And when our people get out there and vote, we will win. The, 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 the thing I learned from Ted Kennedy and the thing that Joe Biden understands that Donald Trump doesn't is the politics of arithmetic. Addition beats subtraction any day of the week. Joe Biden's base of support continues to expand. Suburban voters who were with uh, Donald Trump in 2016, overwhelmingly with Joe Biden. Uh, senior citizens who went for, Bi for Trump in 2016 by about eight points. Now they're, they're for Biden by five or six points. Young people uh, who came out in for a much bigger uh, force in 2018 are continuing that momentum, and we're doing really well there. Our investments in African-American, Latino, Native American, Asian-American communities, I think, have been unprecedented over the last three, four years. That's all, that's all great stuff, uh, Chairman Perez, but respectfully, it, you're, it sounds to me like you're saying that you guys don't have a plan to deal with the 12th Amendment challenge. No, uh, well, we, we, I don't think there's going to be a 12th Amendment challenge, Tom. We have a plan. Okay. For, there's, there's about 15 different contingencies that people have talked about. But I think the most mm -hmm. important response to this, and, and you know, I, I sometimes worry that we uh, and win I, overwhelmingly. come to me and say, Tom, 
the biggest response is to win and win overwhelmingly. And we are, right. our battlefield is expanding. We're investing in Texas right now because the last three, four polls I've seen have shown basically a dead heat, Biden up by a couple, which is a dead heat. Uh, we're, we're, we have tremendous opportunity in um, Arizona. Uh, not only to win um, for Biden, but for Mark Kelly and to flip the state house and the state Senate. Our math, our, our, our battlefields are expanding. Our arithmetic is expanding because we have a coalition that we're building of hardcore Democrats, independents, party of Lincoln Republicans. And, and remember the party of Lincoln and you are a great historian was once the party of civil rights. The party of Trump is the party of extremism. I'm, I might be one of the only people in America who's been past the Rutherford Hayes Museum, which is in Ohio. So when, I, when you mentioned him, I, I, was, I was smiling uh, about that. But I, I think the most important thing we can do, and, and again, we're, our voter protection operation is unlike anything that we have seen before. And the ecosystem, whether it's um, Eric Holder's group, uh, Stacey Abrams' group, other groups that have emerged. I think we're working together like never before. And that's how we succeed. That's how we succeeded in Wisconsin in April. You may recall, Tom, you know, Republicans tried to steal that race uh, for state Supreme Court by weaponizing the pandemic. It didn't work because we out-hustled them. The party chair there is awesome, a guy named Ben Wickler, no stranger to your show and to your mm-hmm. um, listeners, uh, a great yeah, leader. That. And we worked hand-in-hand. And, uh, you know, those Supreme Court races are usually the last two or three have been won or lost by about uh, 10 to 20,000 votes. We won by 140,000 votes. We kicked butt in that race. We out hustled them in Wisconsin. And you look in Michigan, uh, you look in uh, Pennsylvania, you look across the country. Uh, That's what we have to do, folks. John Lewis gave us our marching orders. Get out there and vote. Make sure everyone you know who's eligible does the same thing. That's how we do it. Yeah, you're singing my song. That's been my mantra for some time here. Uh, That and show up and wake people the hell up. Tom Perez, chairman of the Democratic National Committee. Thank you, Chairman Perez. Great talking with you. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. Very curious story here being reported by the Washington Post. I'll just share this with you very quickly, and then I want to get to our guest. The Washington Post is reporting that General John Hyten, he's the number two guy in the Joint Chiefs. He's the vice chair of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, the military's second most highly ranked officer, was extensively quizzed by Slovenian citizen Melania Trump. She has dual citizenship, both Slovenian and and U.S. citizenship. He says, quote, I also spent a lot of time talking to Melania Trump about the locations of all of our intercontinental ballistic missile fields. She was more inquisitive and smarter than the president. End quote. Why does Melania Trump want to know where all our ICBMs are located? I'm just scratching my head. Maybe Chuck Rocha can tell me. He's the president and founder of Solidarity Strategies, a former senior advisor to Senator Bernie Sanders, author of the new book, T.O. Bernie, which is available for pre-order now and wherever you find your books. SolidarityStrategies.com is the website. Chuck Rocha, R-O-C-H-A, is the Twitter handle. Chuck, it's been a while since we've talked. You used to be a regular on our TV show. It's great to have you back with us. And good luck with the book, T.O. Bernie. It sounds fabulous. I'm looking forward to seeing it. T.O. Bernie book, by the way, dot com is, a, is also a website. Tell us about it. So thank you. And thank you, Tom, for having me and for all of your listeners and supporters uh, throughout the last two years of my life that I've dedicated to uh, working for Bernie Sanders. You know, when the campaign ended, it was weird. We all were sent home. Me and Jeff and Faz and crew was asked to, you know, shut down the campaign in the middle of a pandemic. And I felt lost and I felt empty. And I felt sad and I felt mad and I felt all the emotions that all the wonderful Bernie Sanders supporters felt. And so, you know, I took out a pen and I thought I wanted to write down how we did what we did inside the campaign and give an inside look for all of the volunteers who weren't in the room, all of the activists who weren't in the room, 
all of the wonderful teachers and Walmart workers who gave us $5 and $10 to give you a behind-the-scenes glimpse of how me and a team of 206 Latinos built out the most historic Latino outreach operation in the history of American politics. But then also, Tom, like me and you talked about before Bernie Sanders, is I told a lot about my personal story of growing up in East Texas, working in a factory, becoming a union steward at 20 years old, and you know, and a lot of mistakes I made along the ways from having a criminal record to having to raise a baby by myself when I was young to kind of give a roadmap to a young brown or black woman or man out there who may make mistakes in their life or never been to college like me that this is possible for us and you can work for progressives and you can have progressive values and work in politics without like giving up everything that's just about the way that we think. Yeah, it's solid stuff. It's solid stuff. We're talking with Chuck Rocha, the president and founder of Solidarity Strategies, former senior advisor to Bernie Sanders, uh, author of the new book, T.O. Bernie. Uh, what does T.O. mean in Spanish, Chuck? I'm, forgive my ignorance. It means uncle, but it's also a term of endearment. Mm-hmm. If you go to tobernybook.com, you'll see that there's lots of blurbs and people talking about T.O. Bernie, the Latino outreach operation, or your favorite Mexican redneck who is me. Uh, and Tio is also mm-hmm. a term of endearment, like your brother. Like I have a lot of people who look up to me who call me Tio, and I'm not their uncle, but they look at me like an uncle figure or a father figure. I've been doing right. campaigns for 31 years, and so a lot of people look up to me. So I wanted to write an open source book so nobody could ever say again that Latinos don't vote. There you go. So what is the state, Chuck, of the Latino vote uh, in the United States? And, and by the way, should, should I be saying Latinx? I mean, what's the uh, appropriate phraseology these days, too? How is this shaking out politically? Your great question about Latino, Latina, Latinx. In Spanish language, Latinx is not a word. And what happens in Latin is if there's a group of Latinos this spelt with an OS, which is the masculine form of that, right? And that's proper Spanish English. Right. And a female feminine form is Latina, is AS. And we give a masculine or feminine to every word in Spanish. And if you refer to a group of people, they always defer to the masculine tone. Well, a lot of folks today won't, who are, don't want to show gender bias, who want to be non-gender conformant, use the word Latinx. I myself use the word Latino But I also recognize people who like Latinx because I think however you self-identify is very important. And if you do that, I will reflect that on you and show the respect of non-gender and say Latinx. So in the book a lot, we use Latino because I'm an old Mexican from East Texas. I like to use the proper word, which is Latino, with no disrespect, but I also lift up those voices. The Latino vote Mm -hmm. in America is really, really in a weird state because we have a president who started his campaign attacking us and has never stopped till today from putting babies and mothers in cages at our borders to doing away with DACA for our dreamers to watching the COVID crisis kill us at three times the rate of white people while saying that undocumented Latinos who work in meatpacking plants are necessary manual labor, but not necessary to become U.S. citizens. So with that constant attack, we're in a in a time of upheaval, but also tremendous nervousness and unrest in the community. I've been doing these series of books on uh, the hidden histories of America, and the one I, I just started working on the last month is on health care and digging into the history of why the United States has no national health care program all the way back to the late 19th century, but in particular in the uh, 20th century. What I find is time after time after time that, you know, when this, when a national health care program is brought up, is proposed, whether it was Teddy Roosevelt, whether it was Franklin Roosevelt, whether it was Harry Truman, Pick your, it was always opposed by people who didn't want black and Hispanic people to have that benefit. Typically, specifically black people, they didn't want, they didn't want African Americans to have, to have access to health care. Texas, where you're from, still has not expanded Medicaid. To what extent is the, essentially the war on Medicaid in Texas also a war on the, you know, Texas is a very large Hispanic population. To what extent are those two things tied together? Tom, it's a great question. You hit it right on the head. Healthcare is such a vital part of the day-to-day lives of Latinos. And going back uh, for ever since I've been doing campaigns, healthcare has been a core value of why Latinos have gotten involved in public policy. Because, as you well described, the system has been rigged against us getting fair and equitable healthcare. And I do believe, and I know this for a fact, because I've got millions of dollars worth of polling that you don't know about, your listeners don't know about. But I'll tell you today that we talked to with Bernie Sanders. 
that was one of the one of the centerpieces of why Latinos were drawn to Bernie Sanders was Medicare for all. They saw a fair and equitable way for them to receive health care. And it just so happens prior to COVID, health care was the number one reason and the number one economic reason, the number one overall reason that Latinos said they cared and the reason they were going to vote. And because they've been disproportionately underserved in the healthcare market, it was just an issue that I think was a bedrock of why we did so well. And I talk about this extensively in the book at toburniebook.com about why we targeted Latinos and how we did it state by state by state by running a culturally competent campaign. Now, with a person, most people, an older Jewish man from Vermont, who is not the most warm and fuzzy fellow you think of when you think of Latino activists. But because we used a bunch of staff and a bunch of people to take his message to them, then I think that was the reason that he did so well. There you go. Chuck Rocha. Chuck, it's great talking to you again. Thanks so much for dropping by today. I do appreciate it. Check out Chuck's book at T.O. Bernie, T.I.O., T.O. Bernie book dot com. Chuck Rocha, the Solidarity Strategy. Sometimes Louise and I just crave a restaurant quality dinner at home without doing all the work or driving. Well, Cook Unity is the first chef-to-you service delivering locally sourced meals from award-winning chefs right to your door every week. And it appears to be less expensive than other delivery options. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. We just received our first meals from Cook Unity. And what a huge difference it is to get the best chefs in the country to bring creative, delicious meals to us and you every week. Every meal is handcrafted by chefs and made in local micro kitchens, not large production facilities. We just had the chipotle maple glazed salmon with green beans and mango pico de gallo. It had everything we love in a meal. They have all sorts of options like vegan, paleo, pescatarian, gluten-free, and more. Menus are posted two weeks in advance, so you have plenty of time to choose. Experience chef quality meals every week delivered right to your door. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using the code Hartman or going to cookunity.com slash Hartman. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hillary in Bourne, Texas. Hey, Hillary, what's on your mind today? The Texas GOP, they have on their agenda have a resolution to amend the Texas Constitution to add state electoral college. Be it resolved that the state legislation shall cause to be enacted a state constitutional amendment 
creating an electoral college consisting of electors selected by the popular votes cast within each individual state senatorial district who shall then elect all statewide office holders. They're afraid. Burning blue. Yeah. So let me let me just tell you how I interpret this, Hillary. You've got a whole bunch of very rural, low population counties in Texas. And so and you've got some some very high population cities that tend to be blue rather than red. The low population areas are red. So in a statewide election, like, say, John Cornyn up for reelection, he may have a problem if 51 percent of Texans overall, given how many people live in your cities, say, no, we'd rather have a Democrat. But if he's not elected by the majority of people, instead, if he's elected by this electoral college and each elector represents one county and you got some counties with 50 people in them and you got other counties with 50 million. Obviously, those both those numbers are wrong, but you get my point. This guarantees a Republican majority for a long, long time, right? Yep. All statewide office holders. That's everybody. So governor, right? secretary of state, yep. attorney general. Um, the two yeah, senators, the railroad commissioner, you know, yep. so, and there's a lot of them. And so this they, is their, this is their plan to protect, to protect their power if Texas goes blue, basically. Right. Isn't that, isn't that just astounding? I, re- I heard that this morning and I just, my hair stood on end and I went, I don't know what it will take. That's their proposal. So it I don't really know what is. it takes to actually pass it, but hey, the Texas Senate, the Texas legislature is also red. So I don't know what that, you know. Anyway, is that someone's scheme? Is that yeah, of course. going to be passed on to other states? I'm Alarming. making a note here of what you just told me so that I can do a deep dive okay, into it so later the guy on. Who's I, I'm reporting it, the guy who's reporting who is? it is, his name is Ken Herman. And he's at the okay. Austin American Statesman. His Twitter account is at K Herman, H-E-R-M-A-N. Okay, great. Okay, bye. Great, yeah. I just wrote it down. Thank you, Hillary. Appreciate the call. Bye. <laughs> you know, if they can't win, they cheat. It's just that simple. It's, it's like 100 degrees here in Portland. The whole country is like sweltering and has been. Well, it's summer, but it's also summer with a little uh, added global warming thrown in. Here you go. As uh, John Lewis's body is being brought to Lyons State at the uh, Capitol Rotunda, uh, a huge honor. Patrick Leahy and 47 senators, or 46 others, have introduced a bill in his name one of the best ways to memorialize somebody called the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act. It would basically overturn the 2013 Shelby County v. Holder decision in which John Roberts said there is no more racism in America and therefore these southern states that have historically suppressed the black vote no longer have to be supervised by the federal government. Right. How did that work out? Will Mitch McConnell take it up? Uh, almost certainly not. But for Don, John Lewis's funeral, Donald Trump, uh, instead of uh, paying respects, apparently he's going to, by the way, John Lewis will be the first black lawmaker to lie in state in the Capitol Rotunda. Apparently the president's going to, or Trump is going <laughs> to, the resident is going to travel to North Carolina instead of the U.S. Capitol. Dan in Altoona, Pennsylvania. Hey, Dan, what's on your mind? Um, I just wanted to comment on the Tom Perez interview that you uh, just had with him. I just wanted to uh, just let everybody know how uncomfortable that whole interview made me feel. It made me feel like the Democratic leadership has has no idea what's about to happen on Election Day. And I think that's like the biggest problem that people have. Well, that's assuming that my analysis is accurate, Dan. What what he's saying essentially is that he believes that there'll be such an overwhelming victory if right across the board Democrats show up to vote. He believes that there'll be such an overwhelming victory that the Republicans won't be able to pull this thing out of the hat. And even if some states refuse to certify the election, there'll still be enough over the 50 percent mark with the Electoral College, which is hopefully true. It concerned me, too, that it it didn't seem like he was familiar with that. But 
the, the other thing, Dan, that, that this reminds me of is when Randy Rhodes and me and a bunch of other people from, from Air America, progressive talk show, this was back in like in 2005, as I recall, maybe 2006, we went to Washington, D.C. and met with uh, a handful, maybe six, eight, more or less, Democratic members of the House and Senate. Bernie was there. There, there were you know, a number of people whose names you would immediately recognize. I brought up the issue, or maybe Randy brought up, one of us brought up the issue of the fact that we thought that looking at the 2002-2004 elections, that voting machines were being hacked and that there was something funky, you know, something funky went on in uh, Ohio in the 2004 election. And uh, we wanted the Democratic Party to publicize this and investigate it. And one of those senators, one of those Democratic senators who later ran for president said to us, we don't want to scare the voters. We're concerned that if we tell the voters that there might be a problem, that their vote might not be counted, that the machines aren't reliable, that people will then not show up to vote. And if people don't show up to vote, we can't have this large majority that we need to basically shove it in their face and, and, and win. And I thought that was a bad strategy then. I think it's a bad strategy now not to deal with with the you know real problems that are right in front of us. But I, you know I, I don't run the DNC. I, I'm very grateful that Tom Perez was willing to come on the program and at least you know tell us you know what's going on and where the party's at. So Dan, I got to move along, but thank you for the call, David in Al- Atlanta, Georgia. Hey, David, what's up? If Trump invokes the Twelfth Amendment, does the new Congress get seated regardless? Uh, my question being, if they do get seated, let's say the Democrats maintain the House and take the Senate and Trump invokes the 12th Amendment, maintains power, can the new Congress turn around and impeach him a second time in his new term, or in his second term? Uh, They could. Uh, The 12th Amendment only applies to the presidential race and only applies to the Electoral College, so it won't have anything to do with the House and Senate races, although you may have senators, uh, particularly from red states. I mean, there's a bunch of red states that are in play right now where, you know, you may well see a Democrat from Kentucky replacing Mitch McConnell. You may see, you know, Amy McGrath, the woman is running against Susan Collins in Maine. You may, and Texas, I mean, you know, John Cornyn is being given a run for his money. So you may see red states that are controlled by Republicans who, who refuse to certify the vote and therefore they can't seat their senators too for a while, you know, until it all gets sorted out and worked out, which might be February or March, which gives Donald Trump enough time to steal the election. Again, all of this stuff, David, is in the realm of wild conspiracy theory, right? I mean, let me just say that right up front. On the one hand, the wise elders in the Democratic Party consider this stuff to be things that are so remote, such remote possibilities. You know, yeah, we, you know, our lawyers know about it. You know, we'll do something if it happens, but it's probably not going to happen. Although, you know, again, like I said, that's the same thing that they were saying back in, in, in 2005, 2006 about throwing people off the voting rolls and, and, and rigging machines. And again, you know, if they want to call me a conspiracy theorist, so be it. But in the election of 1876, that's, what our, that's exactly what happened. In that election, gotcha. you know, the guy who lost ended up president. Uh, Rutherford B. Hayes lost the popular vote, lost the Electoral College vote and served as president for four years. Uh, you know, in the White House. So uh, I anyhow, I, I, you know, I don't want to rag on Tom, Tom Perez because, you know, he's a good guy and he's doing a hell of a job with really, really bad resources and whatnot. But oh, my. Let's see here. Lynn in El Segundo, California. Hey, Lynn, what's on your mind today? The 12th Amendment. I'm concerned about being absolutely clear and accurate in the event that it did kick in. But first of all, it won't kick in if Biden gets 270 electoral votes from enough states who do certify their election. So uh, if Texas, Florida, Wisconsin don't certify, but if other states vote for Biden, we don't have to worry about it. But if we do have to worry about it, I'm reading a copy of the 12th Amendment, and it says the uh, House of Representatives shall choose immediately by ballot the president, and the vote shall be taken by the states the representation from each state having one vote now that's where it gets uh, i disagree with your analysis and because of um, a, a specialists i've heard in other uh shows and other areas and the uh i agree with your numbers there are 30 states that have um house like assemblies and senates in their state legislatures that are Republican, and 20 states have majority Democrats. So if it were to go to the within the state 
uh, bodies, then I agree. But I disagree. I think it's going to the House delegations, and I no, made a geek. In, in two years after, in, uh, go back and you know check this. In 1878, two years after the election of 1876, Congress passed a law to clarify the 12th Amendment. And that law, and I forget the name of the law, was something like, you know, the, the, the something or other voting act of 1877 or 78. And that law explicitly and specifically says that the congressional delegation shall vote as the majority of the combined members of that state's legislature dictate. It's law. It's been law since, okay, the, 18, need- since the 1870s. You can't just read Sorry? the 12th Amendment. You have to read it in the context of the law that was passed after it that clarifies it. Um, again, you, you if can. you search 12th Amendment and my name, you will find a long article with lots and lots of links to the specific law, to the specific language, to the debates around okay. it, to what happened in that election. Uh, you know, it, 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 at, at the time, actually, at the time, you were, you know, your definition is correct as of 1876. And the House changed their vote to vote for Rutherford Hayes, not because the majority of states were controlled by Republicans, although I believe they might have been, but because, uh, because Rutherford Hayes, being a Republican, said he would end Reconstruction. He would withdraw Union troops from the South. And that was enough to get the Democrats to go along with him and throw Tilden over the, over the edge of the boat. And that's why Congress got together and said, okay, we need a law to clarify this. It's not just up to the state delegation, up to the delegations. It's up to the individual uh, legislative bodies in the states. So, you know, it's, it's very straightforward okay. stuff, Lynn. You can look it up. Thanks very much for the call. Paul in Benton, Pennsylvania. Hey, Paul, what's up? During the last election with Hillary versus Trump, I mean, there was just like Trump yard signs all over the place. And maybe just, a, you know, I saw a handful of Hillary yards. They're in Pennsylvania? Yeah. And, uh, you know, I mean, I always consider Pennsylvania a red state. We have a couple little blue pockets, Pittsburgh and Philly, a couple other places, but that's about it. I'm seeing Trump banners all over the place and everything. I haven't seen one Biden yard sign. Even on the ads on TV, they're all ads run by the Trump campaign. I haven't seen one of those Lincoln Project ads here on TV. The only time I ever see those ads is on MSNBC, you know, when they're talking about it. And another thing is you can't count on the youth vote. I mean, look at what, you know, happened to Bernie Sanders. They said, oh, you know, he's got, you know, all the young people and everything like that. And then when it came time to vote... They never showed up to vote. And right. they, they, had not, they had not developed the habit. Paul, the other thing that surprised me was over the weekend when uh, Chris Wallace said, uh, you know, Trump, you're down nine points in the Fox News poll. I went over to the Fox News app and found a story on Fox News about, and the headline was words to the effect of white people still support Donald Trump, that the majority of white people are supporting Donald Trump right now. And so Trump comes out and says, oh, I'm going to do away with this fair housing law from the 60s because it's going to send people into the suburbs. People obviously code for black people. Suburbs obviously code for white people. I mean, it's like this isn't even dog whistle. This is waving a flag. This is shooting fireworks into the sky. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. 
They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Mike in uh, Anderson Island, Washington. Hey, Mike, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom. Absentee ballots, write-in ballots, same thing. I lived in Oregon, and ever since I saw that I had a chance to vote absentee, because Oregon mm -hmm. and Washington both, you had to have an excuse to get an absentee ballot before the law was changed. 20 years ago in Oregon, I guess it would have been, what, five, six years ago in Washington State? Yeah, it was but been, anyhow, yeah, five, it, six years, yeah. yeah. Washington used to have the same thing, you know, you had to give an excuse. Mm -hmm. Well, I used to say, well, I'm going to be sick on that day. And so I'd get it in the mail. I'd get, you know, it wasn't really restrictive. They just wanted to have an excuse. They didn't sure. really restrict you. You they didn't, didn't have to have witnesses yeah, and all that stuff. And this yeah. bogus excuse that these states are having about, oh, we don't have the capacity to, to run everybody's write-in ballots if everybody writes in, you know, that's, that's BS. Because mm -hmm. they have right now, every state has the capacity to count absentee ballots. Yeah, this right? is July. The election is in November. Right. There's, well, there's, what, four or five months here. You have the time, or three or four months, you have the time to hire people. Well, every state has machines to count write-in ballots because every state has absentee ballots, you know. Right. Maybe you know. Not well, and you can write in. You can write in names on a on a on an in-person ballot as well, Mike. This is bogus. They just don't want write-in ballots because they don't want people voting. Voter suppression is what it is. Well, and here's here's where it came from, Mike. The back back about a month and a half ago, there was a large survey that was done of Democrats and Republicans and their plans for voting this fall. And what they found was that, and I don't have the article in front of me, so I don't have the exact numbers, but my memory's pretty good for numbers generally speaking. I think I have this in the neighborhood of right that roughly 70% of Democrats said that they were reluctant to vote in person and would be trying to vote by mail, and roughly and the number of Republicans who said the same thing was a little over 30 or 40 percent. It was less than 50 percent. So what they concluded was Republicans have no problem showing up in person to vote. Democrats are going to be voting by mail. So let's suppress the mail-in vote. And this was back when the only places that were being really badly hit by COVID were blue states and blue cities. Right. It was New York. It was New Jersey. It was Connecticut. It was, you know, it was the Northeast. It was Washington State. It was, you know, Oregon. And so they figured, hey, we've got this. This is a great way to shut down the elections. Well, now that in red states, the virus is running nuts. And now that in red states, older people are turning off Fox News and going to free speech TV and and MSNBC and CNN and you know, someplace where they're actually going to get information and discovering that, holy crap, if I go out there to vote, I could die. 
you know, Fox News notwithstanding, I think this is going to hurt them. I think I think this is going to backfire on them, Mike, because I think in the hey, one, red states, last, they're going to... One last question, Tom. Yeah, quick. How come you don't play Wonderful World by Louis Armstrong anymore on Fridays? Because of uh, copyright law, we now that we're carried on YouTube, all our music has to be music that we specifically bought and paid for. Yeah. Okay, it was I'm your sorry. father's favorite I, I used to love the country music, too. We can't do that anymore, either. Mike, thanks for the call. Howard in New York City. Hey, Howard, what's up? Yeah, um, I was thinking the best way to get your messages and everybody's messages across to wake up the country is to declare a violation of the First Amendment, impeach Trump, get people like Adam Schiff and yourself and the Lincoln Project. To get, you, you're going to capture two months of radio cycles, of news cycles, of tens of million dollars of free airtime. It's not to impeach him, it's to get the airtime they should impeach him for. Oh, I know. This is this is why the Republicans were holding all those hearings against Hillary. And one of them, I believe, as Kevin McCarthy said, you know, these hearings with against Hillary are going to sink her when it comes to the election. Two or three year long electoral strategy because they knew that Hillary was going to be the nominee. It's like take her down. The Democrats should be doing the same thing with Trump right now. I agree. Steve in St. Louis. Hey, Steve, what's up? I believe is it December 15th that all the states have to be certified. I don't recall. It's in December, yeah. Do you think he would hold, have the postmaster hold up the mail until after that certification? Can he actually do I that? don't think, no, I, I don't think anything's going to happen like that at some sort of, you know, command, uh, top-down federal level. I, I think what's more likely to happen is if the post office, basically system-wide, but in particular in big cities, which are democratic cities by and large, the mail service starts getting all screwy, as apparently it has happened, is, is already happening, then you're going to have states that are going to say, well, we, you know, 20% of our mail-in ballots came in the day after the deadline, so we can't certify them. And that could throw it to the House of Representatives. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. Sheila in uh, Severna Park, Maryland. Hey, Sheila, what's on your mind today? Hi, I know you don't have much time, but I do have a question about these 28 million people that are going to possibly get evicted from their homes. How does that affect their registration to vote? It's a very good question. I don't know the answer. Um, It's it's going to vary state by state. uh, But generally speaking, if you are homeless or if you do not have a specific address, you can't vote or if your address if the address on your ID is not your legal address. The saving grace may be that between the time everybody gets evicted, which I believe will be the end of August, right? Doesn't the, uh, the rent stuff, the rent abatances or abances or whatever, don't those stop at the end of August? I don't know. Have 30 days to be living in the state for so long before you can right. register. And that, you know, there would be a lot of people that might not be able to vote. Yeah, if there are people migrating and things. I do think, though, that the one saving grace might be that the states, particularly the Republican-controlled states that would be inclined to use the fact that you got evicted to prevent you from voting, those states will not have the time to figure out who's gotten evicted and who hasn't. Or maybe they will. I don't know. Maybe they're sitting on top of lists provided by the banks of people being evicted, and uh, they'll start purging their lists right you know, immediately. I just don't know. But it's a great question. Wow. It's just it's just incredible, isn't it? It's just incredible. Barbara in Chicago Heights, Illinois. Hey, Barbara, what's on your mind today? Hi, Tom. How are you today? I'm alive and kicking, Barbara. Okay. <laughs> what's on your mind? I'm, I'm with you. Okay, Tom, I'm listening to you all morning like I normally do. I'm definitely seeing paths that they might want to follow. But, Tom, you have an army of resistors that listen to you every day. I don't know if you have a plan yet for what we need to do to resist, but if you don't have it today, I want you to take some time, think about it, and come back and say, what can we do to stop this from happening? Yeah. yeah. Because we can't sit back and just talk about it. We've got to say, okay, like the lady just, one of your callers just said, maybe we should be calling our representatives, you know, the senators and the reps telling them, what we supposed to tell them that they need to get on the balls they're hesitant about doing it but maybe they need to a kick in the butt from all of us i don't know i think i think you may well be right barbara i need us to come up with some solutions i just don't want to sit back and say you know john lewis says never despair but keep fighting 
So what's the fight? What is going to be our fight? Number one, we need to wake people the hell up. We need to wake up our friends and neighbors and relatives and everybody else to what's actually going on out here. Number two, we need to make sure that everybody we know is registered to vote and is getting a mail-in ballot. Those can both be substantial hurdles, you know, obstacles to participating in our democracy and, and in some states uh, require an enormous amount of hassle. In Mississippi, if you want to abs- mail, you know, d- uh, vote by mail, you have to have your ballot notarized. And that's one of two states where that's the case. In other states, you have to have a witness sign it. It's going to be tough. I'm not sure we should be doing mail-in ballots with masks and shields. And I don't care if we got on garbage bags, whatever we need to wear. Maybe we need to show up in person because they are going to try to beat us with the mail Well, Trump is voting by mail. Kaylee McEnany votes by mail. Mike Pence votes by okay. mail. All their wives, all their friends. I mean, most. I, I'm pretty sure pretty much everybody in this administration votes by mail. There was one state. I forget. I forget the state right now. But there was one state where the Republicans were speaking on the floor of the House, complaining about vote by mail, and it turned out that like. 40 out of 44 members, Republican members of the state House representatives had all voted by mail. And they were saying, oh, you can't trust it. You can't do it. And I think in Illinois, Barbara, since you're in Chicago Heights, you have probably, you know, less to worry about. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be a real challenge, though, for people in Texas, for people in Mississippi, for people in states that have aggressively, that are continuing to aggressively disenfranchise people because they're run by Republican governors. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.